If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I didn't want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and three-fourths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I have seeds the ripest of the apple tree, the. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I began with a campaign of whispers, with the wisdom of a serpent. I'd whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I'd whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince that them that the man was created, that man created God instead of the other way around. I would con- confine that which was, was bad is good and that which is good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which is in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors on how to make uh, lucrative literature exciting so that anyone else would appear dull and unentertaining. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcissists to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war within themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each, uh, each in its own turn was consumed. And with promisings of higher ratings than I'd memorized, media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect the discipline of emotions. But just let those run wild until before you knew it, you'd have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse and then from the schoolhouse and then from the House of Congress and its own churches. I would uh, substitute psychology for religion and defy defy science. I would lure uh, priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I would ha- I would have those who have and those who want until I had to kill the innocent of the ambitious. And what do you bet I could get the states to promote gambling as ways to get rich? I would caution against extremes and hard work and patriotism and moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun. That what you see on TV is the way that that it is to be. And thus I uh, could undress you in public. And I would lure you into bed with the disease for which there is no cure. In other words, if I was the devil, I would just keep keep on doing what he's doing. Now those words in which I read might be very familiar to some of you in in this room. The words in which I had just read was from a radio quote by Paul Harvey in the year 1965. Now I want you to think about those words from 1965. That Paul Harvey says, if I were the devil, these are the things that I would do to make sure that the devil is going to win. How far have we come since 1965? 1965... 
Gas prices was a whole lot cheaper. Gallon of milk, a whole lot cheaper. But what about our morals? But what about our morals as a nation? How, how, how far have we become from 1965? The, the one that hits me the hardest in all that because I'm a school teacher is we'll have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Do you know how close we are from that? Very, very close because of how far we have come to 1965. There's a man by the name of Elias Bonat. He was one of the founding fathers. I'm going to read his resume to you. He was one of the founding fathers. He was a part of the New York colonel in the militia. He was present during the Continental Congress when they wrote the Articles of Confederation. He was actually one of the signees of that that first document, our first governing body document, the Articles of Confederation. He was a delegate to help frame the United States Constitution. He spoke more than any other delegate in the wording of the final Constitution. He was a signer and minister of France, and he served in the United States Senate. Now, that man, that man that I've just mentioned, Elias Bonat. Now, listen to what this man said. I'm going to read two quotes from you in, in today's sermon. Good government generally begins in the family. And if, if the moral character of a people once degenerated, their political character must soon follow. What is he saying there? He's saying, hey, if you want to have good government, it begins with the family. And if you don't have that, it's going to deteriorate and it's going to, to vanish. But listen to this second one. This is where I'm going to go with today's sermon. Be religiously careful in all our choices of public officers. And judge of the fruit, the tree by its fruits. What is he saying there? We as people of God, we as Christians, as, as we assemble here today, have a job that we, that we are honored to have in this nation, and that is to elect people. But we don't need to elect people just for the sake of electing people, but we need to research into them, and we need to elect those, as he says here, be religious of careful in our choices of all public officers. And that is we need to elect people that stand up and stand for the righteousness and for the laws of God Almighty. The verse that I want to use as a spring for, for our lesson this morning is Proverbs 14, verse number 34. There where Solomon said, Righteousness exalts a nation, and sin is a reproach to any people. Friends, if you want to get this nation right, it's not going to begin in Washington, D.C. It's going to begin within your own lives, and within our own homes, and with our own churches, and therefore it's going to spread to Washington, D.C., because we want to elect people that exalt righteousness, that see that the only thing that's going to get this country back to a Christian nation is by electing those that are righteous, electing those who stand for righteous policies, and therefore going to get this country back to righteousness, because sin, that which is not right, unrighteousness, is what brings a country down, that which brings a country down. You might be thinking, what is righteousness? Psalms 119 verse 172 says, My tongue shall speak of your word, for all of your commandments is righteousness. So therefore, what is righteousness? It is this book, the Bible that we have. And therefore, when we let people of our nation, we need to let people that stand up and stand for the word of God. We don't need to have people that compromise, that waver, that give in. We're going to talk about that here in a second. But we need to have elect people Men and women that are going to stand up for God's Word. Now, let me say this on the outset of my lesson. I'm not here to represent the Republican Party. 
I'm not here to represent the Tea Party. I'm not here to represent the Democratic Party. I am here to represent as a Christian. When I go into the voting booth, I have Austin Fowler, and I have a C by my name. And the reason I have a C by my name is because I belong to Christ. A lot of this lesson that I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of this lesson that I'm giving to you today is a lesson from Brother B.J. Clark. It's one that he did. And that's one point that he made in that sermon that's always stuck with me. I heard that sermon nine years ago. And I always remember that point because when I go in the voting booth, I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat, I'm a Christian because I belong to Christ. And if I belong to Christ, I'm going to remember Proverbs 14 and verse number 34 that, that, that a righteousness exalts a nation if sins are approached to any people. And therefore, since I belong to Christ, I'm going to vote for righteousness. I'm going to vote for the things that are righteous and I'm going to vote for the things that are going to bring forth God's law. Since God is the king and of this universe, he gets to determine what is right and wrong. And we need to know what is right and wrong. Hebrews 1 and verse number 9 says, You have loved righteous and you hate lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your company. Since we need to be righteous, we need to elect people of righteous people. And you might be thinking, you know, Austin, this is not a big year election. This is not an election. It's not a presidential year election. It's just a midterm. It's not that important. Friends, you know how important this election is? This is a lot. I saw a stat yesterday on the commercial, and I wish I would have written it down. But there are about 20-something seats for the United States Senate of this election. There is all of the House of Representatives, all 535 seats for the House, of, or 435, I can't remember which one it is. I think it's 435, up for the House of Representatives because they're elected every two years. There are some 30-something spots for governor elections this election. And you might be thinking, oh, it's not that big a deal in Tennessee. I understand it is in Georgia because you have a governor race, you have a Senate race, but friends, even our local elections need to be important as well. I was talking to some friends, and I keep up with local politics because of what I do and my job and different things like that, but people are like, oh, I don't keep up with local elections. I do. Because I want to elect people that are going to be righteous in my own area. People that are going to exalt righteousness and call sin what sin is. So as we look at this sermon about the Christian in voting, and the Christian and our responsibility in voting, let's begin with Exodus chapter 18 in mind. Let's look at what, what they did, what they did during this time in the book of Exodus to see the application that we can make in today's society. Then we'll get down to the nitty-gritty of things and look at some elect election decisions that we're going to have to make and what do our candidates stand for in making the decision which who we're going to vote for and that's the reason which I'm preaching this message. But look at Exodus chapter 18 beginning in verse number 21. Notice what uh, Moses said here. He says, Moreover, you shall select or elect, we're selecting, from all people, notice this, number one, able men, number two, such as fear God, number three, men of truth, number four, hating covetousness, and number five, place such over them to be rulers of thousands, over uh, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Notice here these four things in which Moses said you need to select these number these men. Number one, you need to select able men. You need to select men that are able to do the job. You don't need to select men that's not able to do the job. Select men that are qualified, that, that have the uh, things in which they need to do. Number two, those who what? Fear God. Number one is able men. Number two, those who fear God. And what does it mean there by fear God? It means to 
respect and do his commandments. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse number 13, Solomon there said in the conclusion of the whole matter is this, fear God and what? Keep his commandments. So when we're looking at people to elect, what do we need to do? We need to elect people that number one, stand up for, stand up for God's word and have a righteousness of fear towards him. That is a reverential fear and respect towards God. And number three here in this passage is men of truth. Those that speak the truth. Proverbs 16 and verse number 12 says, Is it an abomination for kings to commit wickedness? For a throne is established upon righteousness. Also, uh, Proverbs 29 and verse number 12, If a ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked. Now let me tell you something. Politicians are going to lie to you. I hate to, I hate to break that back to you. It don't matter what side of the aisle they're on. They're going to lie to you. They're going to tell you what that what they want to hear to, to get elected. Okay? But what kind of track record do they have? Do they have one that tells the truth? One that speaks the truth? But also do they speak the truth of God's word? And we're going to look at those issues more as we go forth. But how about hate covetousness? The idea of hating covetousness here being this fourth characteristic in which is listed here. What do we see? We see Proverbs 28, verse 16, A ruler who lacks understanding is a great oppressor, but he who hates covetousness will prolong his days. Proverbs 29, and verse 4, The king establishes the land by justice, but he who receives bribes overthrow it. What does that verse teach us there in Proverbs 29, and verse 4? We need to have morals over money. Do you know how many of our politicians will very quickly very, very quickly throw a vote and swing their vote because some lobbyist is going to give them a bunch of money. That's, that's just the, the fact of the matter. You might be thinking, oh man, during their, during their election, during their campaigning, they stood firm on this issue. They, they stood up. They were going to do what's right. They said it. I heard at their campaign speech. And then they get up there to Washington. You know what happens? They vote the other way because of money. They, they, they took their morals and flushed them down the toilet and took in a wad of money. And that's there is, is, is because they love covetousness. Proverbs 29 verse 4, The king establishes the land by justice, but he who receives bribes overthrow it. They, threw, they took down their morals because of money. Proverbs 16 and verse 8, better is, a little, better, better is a little with righteousness than a vast revenues without justice. Yes, I understand Daniel 4 and verse number 32 there where the passage says the Most High, that is God, rules in the kingdom of men. God is going to intercede. God is going to uh, rule and have His providential hand in that. But we need to elect people that are righteous. Proverbs 25 and verse number 5, take away the wicked from the king and the throne will be established in Righteousness. Proverbs 29 and verse 2. When, a, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. What do we see here? There's a constant theme. The only thing that's going to get this country right is righteousness. And we understand that God's law is righteousness. If the people are going to be happy, it's because we are righteous. Therefore, what do we need to look at? You know, probably going back to our point about covetousness, going back to that verse about uh, about he received bribes overthrow it, probably if you ask most Americans what is the number one issue concerning the election, what are they going to say? 
they're going to save the economy. And that is an important issue because if the economy is doing well, therefore the church, the, the members can give more money and therefore the church can go, go do more with the money that is happening. But is that the number one issue that we need to have at the forefront of our minds as Christians? And we need to have other things on our mind as we move forward doing this. I want to talk about several issues that, that, are, uh, that are prevalent in our nation today. And those are this. Number one... We need to elect officials that are tough on crime. Those that are tough on crime. Listen to what the Proverbs writer said in Proverbs chapter 20. He said two things in this section of Scripture. Proverbs 20 and verse 8. A king who sits on the throne of judgment scatters all evil with his eyes. And then you go down to verse number 26. A wise king sifts out the wicked and brings the threshing wheel over them. What does that mean? He's going to run over the wicked. He's going, to, he's going to just plow over them because they are wicked. Because he's going to keep righteousness at the forefront of his eyes. And he's going to do that. Friends, we it's sad. But we need to elect people that are tough on crime. That are going to, pars- uh, to punish criminals for the, ju- the things in which they have done. Uh, do, do, the, uh, do that. Against them. So, where does your candidate stand on crime? Are they tough on criminals? Are they one that's going to uh, do as these passages say in Proverbs 20, verse number 8, verse number 26? But what about this next issue? Do not oppress the poor. Do not oppress the poor. What about Proverbs 28, verse 15? Like a roaring lion and a charging bear is a wicked ruler over poor people. Proverbs 29 and verse 14, the king who judges with the poor, the, the, judges the poor with truth, his throne shall be established forever. I've been to countries that have done this thing, oppress the poor. You go and see the president's house. You go and see uh, the dictator's house. And they live in a big old mansion. It is beautiful. They have all the luxury. And then you go just a mile down the road and you see people living in poverty. Because of this issue, because they oppress the poor. Where's our candidate stand concerning this issue? Where's our candidate stand in enabling the lazy? And I understand what Jesus said about Matthew chapter 25, about helping those who need help. Because what does he say there in Matthew 25? You know, hey, I was hungry and you fed me. I I was hungry and you gave me food. I, I was naked and you clothed me. I understand what Jesus said concerning those things. I understand that we need to help those who are in need. Galatians 6 and verse number 10. Do good unto all men, especially those in the households of faith. But what if they're not willing to work? What if they are not willing to do that? What does 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10 say? If he does not work, neither should he eat. Don't enable the lazy. Don't enable more programs to allow people to become more lazy and not work. There's a labor shortage in our nation right now. I mean, you go to the restaurants, you're going to wait longer than you normally do because there's a shortage of workers. Where's our candidate stand concerning that? This next issue is one that's not easy to talk about. I know I went through some of those very quickly, but it's because I want to focus in on these next few because they're more prevalent and I believe more needed time in our nation. It was December 7th, 1941. 
that President Franklin Delano Roosevelt stand before the American people after Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor in Hawaii was bombed. And during his speech as he is addressing the nation said this, December 7th, 1941, a day that will live in infamy. There's two more days in American history that I believe live in infamy. That is January 22nd, 1973. And that is the decision in which our Supreme Court, the highest ruling in our land, decided that Roe v. Wade, that abortion, could be legal in our nation. Now I'm thankful that we have a Supreme Court now that has changed that law, that has overturned that. But from 1973 until this year, the summer of this year, how many millions of babies' lives were aborted because of that? Another day that will live in infamy is June 26, 2015. Now, I was not alive in the year 1973, but I was in 2015. I remember that a week before before that day in June 26, 2015, I was in Washington, D.C. I had taken a trip up there, and I was showing kids around. We went to the White House, went to all the different memorials with kids that year. And I flew home on a Sunday, and then on Wednesday, I flew to Panama. And I was getting ready for a mission trip. And I didn't keep up with the news like I do now. But I remember waking up. We, got, we went to get ready for the mission trip, and the team was flying in, and we slept in because we, we had a long day on Thursday. I think our flight was delayed several hours on that Wednesday. So we were wore out, and the, the campaign was starting that Friday. Everybody was flying in, so we slept in. And I remember the only channel that worked in our hotel that was in English was CNN. And we turned it on, and there was a ruling for the Supreme Court, and that was that homosexuality marriages are now legal in the United States. I remember that day very vividly. I remember where I was. I was at a Riyande hotel in my room about 9.30 in the morning there, Panama time. And that's a day that will live in infamy. And you might be thinking, well, what does the Bible say about these issues? Because it doesn't matter what Austin Fowler says. It doesn't matter what political party says about these issues. The most important thing that matters is what does the Bible say? And we need to have a thus says the Lord for any answer we have. So when it comes to respect for human life, let's notice some scriptures that the Bible says. Psalms 119, verses 13 through 16. Notice, notice what this section says concerning human life. Beginning in verse 13 of Psalms 139, it says this, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and silver and raw in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, yet being unformed. And in your book they are written, These days fashioned me, when as yet there were none of them. What does the Bible say there? That God, the Jehovah God, the ruler and maker of life, sees a living being within the mother's womb. It says, you formed, you created in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. It is 18 days after 
conception. The mother still does not even know that she is pregnant yet, that the baby has a heartbeat. Eighteen days after conception, the mother doesn't even know that they, are, that they have that, but they, are, they are, uh, have a heartbeat. How about Jeremiah 1 and verse 5? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to all the nations. What does that show? God sees within a pregnant woman a living creature. And let me show this to you. Go, go with me to the book of Luke. I want you to notice this because there, there's two passages here in Luke that, that uses the same word. Look at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse number 44. Luke 1 and verse 44. Now here is, is Elizabeth talking about her, her son, uh, John the Baptist. And notice what it says here concerning this. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounding in my ears, notice this, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Notice it did not say a blob of cells. It did not say a, a, a you know, a, a fetus even. It says what? The babe. A living creature within this womb. And notice what it says, the babe left. Now go with me one chapter over to Luke chapter 2 and verse number 16. Of course here, this is the birth of our Savior, the birth of Jesus Christ here on earth. And notice what it says here in this passage. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now, one of the, it's the same word in the Greek language. The babe, I can't remember what the exact word is that's used in the, in the Greek language, but it's the same exact word used in Luke chapter 1 as it is Luke chapter 2. You know what that tells me? That it is the same creature, and God views them as a same thing, and that is the babe, a living, breathing creature. One thing that God hates mentioned in Proverbs chapter 6, there are seven things that God hates, and one of them is the shedding of innocent blood. And when a baby is aborted, it is the shedding of innocent blood. Now, I could show you pictures. I could uh, show you different things concerning abortion, but I'm not going to because it's very gruesome. But I am going to tell you about a movie that I have watched that's very gruesome. If you have young children, I encourage you not to watch this around them because it's pretty gruesome. It's called Unplanned, I believe is the name of it. The uh, person that that movie is around is by the name Abby Johnson. Abby Johnson worked for Planned Parenthood, which is uh, the, the root cause for most abortions here in America. But she was one of the ones that worked in Houston, Texas, and I have seen this um, big organization driving by in Houston, Texas uh, last summer. But she was the one that ran this clinic. And she was one of the biggest and top performers as far as abortions go. She even had abortions herself. But she had a change of heart when she saw the ultrasound of a baby, a fetus that looked just like a baby, had a heartbeat being sucked out of that mother's womb and killed. She had a change of heart, and that's what that movie's about. She was one that was for abortion, but once she saw the true nature of it and what it was, that it was a living creature within that, she had a change of heart. And she is an activist for life, pro-life, and she's a great activist for this cause. 
I, I got curious about the word pregnant. And I said, I wonder what the original word for pregnant means. Now, it comes from a Latin, and it means two different things, but one of the original translations that means pregnant means with child. With child. And that's exactly what, if somebody is pregnant, is. People might say, you know what, it's a blob of cells, friends. That's not the way the Lord looks at it. Because God made them. They're a babe. And they have a heartbeat. And we need to respect that. Where does our candidate stand concerning that issue? I'm afraid that this next issue of marriage is one that has sadly gone down the drain on both sides of the aisle. But we still need to elect people that stand up for God's view of marriage. And I mentioned this in our Bible class this morning, that God's plan for marriage is one man, one woman for life. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Go with me to Romans chapter 1 to see something here that, that is not approved by God. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse number 20. Notice what it says here. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power, Godhead, that are without excuse. But you continue reading here, go down to verse number 26. For this reason he gave them up uh, to vile passions, for their woman exchanged the natural use for what is nature. Likewise, the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which is due. And what is that? That is men lying with men, women lying with women, and that is homosexuality. If you go over to 1 Corinthians, go, go with me to the next book, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. One of the big issues being pushed today is, well, they were just born that way. They were just born that way. But look what 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, nor the fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Now notice this next one. Nor homosexuals nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Those That list of people there are people that will not be able to go to heaven. But look at verse 11. But such were some of you. You know what that tells me? They, they, they had this issue, but they repented and they changed. Tells me it is a choice that they were able to make. Yes, they might still struggle with that that sin of homosexuality, but they changed, repented, and they were washed, they were baptized, they were sanctified and justified in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does our candidate say in review in, in regards to God's view of marriage? You know, I, there were some, some things I wish I would have mentioned going back to respect for human life. That there are per, partial birth abortions now being pushed. That a baby can be terminated at nine months pregnant. What a sad situation our country is in. Promoting things that God has called sinful. And we need to elect leaders that call sin, sin. And stand up for the righteousness of God. Let me, let me conclude it this way. First John 2 and verse number 6. We need to walk as the way Jesus walked. Colossians 3 and verse 16, 16 and 17 says we must do all things. 
and the authority in the name of Jesus Christ. Therefore, if we're going to do all things in the name of Jesus Christ, we're going to elect people that God would want us to elect. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse number 31, we must glorify God in all that we do in our body. Therefore, we need to glorify God in who we elect in this country. You might be thinking, you know what? My vote's just one vote. Your vote can make a difference. I had a friend that recently told me this past week, you know, they're going to lose by so-and-so hundreds of thousands of votes or tens of thousands of votes. You can't tell me that my one little vote's going to make a difference. I said, well, if everybody that said that voted and voted for the right people, it would make a difference. You need to let your voice be known, and you can do that through electing godly people. You can also pray. You need to pray for our elected officials. We are commanded to pray for them. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And if we don't agree with them, we need to pray for them by name. We need to pray that God's righteousness will be exalted. And we need to preach because we need to be preachers of righteousness just like Noah was. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. We need to elect people who are righteous. We need to elect people so we can get this country right with God and exalt righteousness. This is not an easy, this is a very difficult task to preach. It's not an easy lesson to preach because of the content of it, because of the divisive nature even within the church concerning these issues. But God's word has said what it said and we need to stand there for and elect righteous leaders. Let's have a prayer and then I'll offer the invitation and we'll have the invitation song after I offer the invitation. Let's pray for our nation. Our Father which is in heaven, we are grateful for this day. We're grateful for your love. Lord, we have spoken today about some things that are very difficult, some things that are bothersome in our nation. Lord, we know that righteousness exalts a nation and sins are approached to any people. We pray that we elect people that are righteous, that are standing for your word, that, Lord, we know sometimes it might be a very difficult decision, that there might be people that struggle with, with these things, but, Lord, that we pick the lesser of two evils, one that's going to stand for your word the most. And, Lord, we just pray for our elected officials in office now. We pray that you bless them, that you can give them guidance, and that they may... Uh, turn to you for guidance and that they will stand for your word and bring back righteousness. We pray for this upcoming election throughout our nation that, that the people in this nation will look to you as they go to the polls and look to your word for righteousness so that they can elect righteous people. And it's through Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Our fa- uh, you know, our Father always has heaven's invitation open. It's the Lord's invitation. You can come to him becoming a Christian this morning. And he has has a plan for you to follow after to become a Christian. That is that if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, willing to repent of any sin, confess that sin, and being willing to repent of your sins, you can come forward and be buried in water or grave of baptism to have your sins forgiven because that is the point in which your sins are forgiven. Acts 2 and verse number 38. But maybe you're here this morning like most of us and you've done those things, but you have sin in your life. We'll be glad to pray with you and for you, just as 1 John chapter 1, 7 through 10 tells us to do. If you confess your faults one to another, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. We can help you anyway. Come now as together we stand and as we sing. <laughs>